Nancy, would you would you please read the koan and woman's comment? Okay. One from the third seat breaches the Dharma. Master Yanshan dreamed that he arrived at the Maitreya's palace and sat on the third seat. One of the venerable ones there beat the gavel and announced, today the one on the third seat will breach, will breach the Dharma. Yashan get, then got up, beat the gavel and said, the Mahayana teaching is apart from the four propositions and cause of the 100 negations. Listen carefully, listen carefully. Neither opening or keeping it short, he is still as far apart from the truth as 180,000 miles under clear, broad daylight. This guy is dreaming of taking in his dream, conjuring up all kinds of bizarre and strange things to deceive the congregation. Okay, thank you, Nancy. And we'll sit for five minutes more, please, and then we'll begin writing. Okay. Um, okay, so Lori is not here yet. It is uh, the six of us. Um, yeah, so it, I remember that now that Lori said that if the plumber came, she wouldn't be here. She, okay. He has a okay. first pipe. Okay. So do we want to discuss this um, first before we read? I think so. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> okay, so jump right in, anybody. Well, I'll, I'll start only in that I... Okay, well, wait, wait a minute, Gail. Kim, before Gail starts, can you take down the, um, the, the text, text so that we can see each other's faces? Thank you. And Kim, are you recording? Because I don't... Oh, it, there it is now. Okay. Just I'm, make yes, sure. I am recording. Good. Okay, I'm sorry, Gail. Go ahead. Well, this is interesting to me because at first I have, as usual, absolutely no idea um, what it's pointing to. But what it, what it reminded me of is dreaming. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it brought up to me a dream that I, that I had where in my dream there was a lot going on. And at one point I became lucid and I asked an authority in my dream, is this a dream? This isn't real, is it? I became aware of that. And this authority figure in my dream turned around and looked at me and then had a look of confusion on its face, his face and said, you find out. And then, you know, I woke up and it, it, it was really interesting to me. So in a dream, I was thinking that all the characters are you. So Master Yang Shang and the patriarchs. Come in. <laughs> Sorry, it's visiting time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> sweet, sweet little one. Anyway, it just reminded me that like everything in a dream is you. And it's almost as if Yang Shang is choosing, is basically saying what was said in my dream, like you find out. At the very end, it says, listen carefully, listen carefully, even though I'm not sure um, what those, you know, what he was talking about before that um, was pointing to. But it just, I, I don't know, that's what he evoked for me. Uh, it's almost like consciousness in, even in the dream, trying to wake itself up in some odd way. Um, I don't know. So that's what it evoked for me. It, it reminded me of the whole um, um, dream, dreaming state, you know, yeah. and what I had, what I had thought. And um, Wu Men's comment um, in my dream. I didn't know what the truth was. I'm just told, telling myself to find out. And sort of in Wu Men's comment, it's sort of the same thing <laughs> to me. Um, 
I saw a woman as being sarcastic. Yeah, that, me too. That truth was not um, something that the Mahayana people valued. Well, and, and I, I don't know that I got that, that the truth wasn't a value, but what I did get was that when he talks about, did he preach the Dharma or not and open his mouth as to fail or to shut his mouth as to lose? For me, what it, it came to was it, Dharma is everywhere. You know, Dharma is everywhere. If I listen without all of my perceptions and my conditioning and my habits that get in the way, Dharma is everywhere, but I delude myself, you know, thinking, oh, well, that's not Dharma or that's not Dharma. Only this is Dharma. Um, so that, that's kind of what I get out of it. And, and I need to tell you that I, I need to make my 5.30 phone call to my mom. So when we're through talking, Gail will start in order reading. And I'll be finished by the time it gets to me. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I came up with a, an, a different facet. So I just found it um, fascinating that, well, start with this. We live in, in a dream created of our own constructs, right? And yet this is a double-layered dream. He, he's, his waking dream has the additional layer of the sleeping dream. And what I put is in his dream, he's lost in a double layer of egoic self-centered self, of being chosen the one to preach, to teach, to tell what the Dharma is um, in words, no less, <laughs> you know, to kind of encapsulate it in words. And then I found the listen carefully, very egoistic, as if saying, I've now been chosen, I know it all, I'm the expert, I'm here to tell you, when it's not a practice that can, um, it's a practice of, well, and I may be using the wrong words, not of teaching, but of transmission. If I have a distinction in my mind that teaching and transmission are, are, are different things. And that's why the, when I read the comments that if he speaks or doesn't speak, he's still 180,000 miles away, is because it doesn't really matter what he says because it's all egoic based in his wanting, needing to be the one selected to to to, to um, teach the Dharma, sort of like he's already a clay Buddha, as Flint said, wanting to be the golden Buddha of, of being the teacher or, or whatever that means. And then I remembered in the, in the dismissiveness of, of dismissing, you know, does away with the negations and all of that, something popped up in, in my mind as I read that. And that was Flint saying in his intensive, and I'm paraphrasing, how simple are you willing to let this be? You know, how, how much are you willing to let go of to see the simplicity of this practice? And so that's what I got from it. I, I think, don't know, we'll see. I think it's yeah. kind of like Saturday Night Live where the whole thing's a spoof. You, you can't say anything. There's nothing that can be said. And so he's, he's, and it's also making, I'm looking for common themes in all these koans. And one of them, maybe in all of them is, is poking fun at the Theravadans. And who have all these truths and, and negations and so forth. And rules and here's how you get there. And so, and making fun. And I think women's like playing along with it. You know, and asking, did he preach the Dharma? Of, uh, can the Dharma even be taught? It's a funny one. Yeah. And, then, and nothing can be said, but if you keep your mouth shut, then that's a problem too. Right. <laughs> and well, I just, this is the last thing I'll say. You mentioned a spoof's SNL. While I was meditating this morning, 
I, I got this, not a vision, not as if it, but I got this sort of awareness. Oh my goodness, I am living the Truman Show. Do you remember that movie with Jim Carrey? Yeah. Where he's got this reality, he truly believes this reality. I love that. He connects based on false premises. He loves and leaves based, he does things and doesn't do things. And finally, when he gets the courage to dive deep and go out, he finds that the entire universe, the sky even is made of paper. It's not real. Yeah. And so that came to mind too, when I was thinking about this dream within a dream. So anyway. And now Trotty's going to settle it. Oh, Trotty. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed and welcomed all the comments and all the thoughts were very different from mine. Um, so I, I think this was very enriching for me. But I suppose I, I got sort of either attached or hooked on uh, the statement that Mahayana, let me make some light. I don't have a, I, if I have a lamp, then I cannot uh, charge the, the iPad. Sorry. So the, the statement, um, the Mahayana teaching is apart from the four proposition and cut off 100 negations. So the four propositions are Nagarjuna's four corners. And so Nagarjuna is Mahayana teaching, right? But he wants, he focuses only on Nagarjuna. And Nagarjuna, after all, he wrote and composed lots of different works and it's still words, it's concepts, right? So he, he is sort of dismissing it and then he also says that cuts off the 100 negations. And the negations are in the four propositions. So what I remember of the four propositions, Chatushkoti, is four statements or questions. So number one is, does the Buddha exist after passing away or after his death? Number two, does the Buddha does not exist? Does the Buddha not exist after passing away? Does not continue in a in a uh, some form of existence. Number three, does the Buddha neither exist or not exist? This this is yeah this is convoluted. And the fourth one. Actually, the, the both questions or whatever propositions uh, negates both of them. So in English, it's very hard to give a double negation. In Sanskrit, uh, you can do that, that you attach one negation to the verb and then you put a negation in front of uh, a noun or some other ways as well. So, um, is, are there any questions what I'm trying to sort of describe here very briefly? That there is four positions that are very important for um, the early Mahayana, for the Shunyata, um, and for what went on. I mean, the, the, the Chinese, they drew on all of this, but it was much later. And they refined or uh, had their own input, right? So why does he say that it's a, the, the Mayana teaching is apart from the four proposi uh, propositions? Right. Because Mahayana is what I think, like actually what uh, several of you already talked about, that it is nothing like a like a proposition. There, there is four questions. There is four propositions. There's there are four positions, and the four positions they are aimed at the uh, the opponent whose ideas you dismantle, as opposed to being um, kind of real. As opposed, to, 
it, there, there, it's a conceptualization, and that's yes, why it's a part. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. So, um, it's in Charles, the head instead of the heart or instead of the experience. So, right. Trouty, am I hearing correctly that essentially this is saying whether the Buddha exists after passing or doesn't exist or neither exists or the double negative is irrelevant? to Buddhism, Buddha, the greater essence and, and substance of Buddhaism or, 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 or Buddhahood. Am I, is that? Well, yeah, but I, I think you are speaking from the position of the further developed Mahayana. Mm -hmm. Um, or a particular school, or maybe what we are focusing here uh, with, with this book. I didn't read all of it, but I, I did some. So, uh, yes, and but this had a particular function, this tetralemma, four corners, four positions, four different positions are absolutely exhausting of what you can do in a, in a debate. And this was used uh, against their opponents, whether they were, I mean, Nagarjuna type of, of, of a proponent, the Shunyata, right? The emptiness. So uh, with this type of a position, one could just uh, damage or get rid of any opponent mm -hmm. because they would be left with nothing. Not nothing in the same way as emptiness. Mm -hmm. They would be defeated. So Nagarjuna spent a lot of time um, citing the arguments of his opponents. But yeah, that's what, what you do always, um, because you have always debates. That this this is the important thing that we have these records that have been already written down. When we talk and sometimes belittle Theravada, these are memories of several centuries down the road, right? That have been recorded afterwards what people remembered or what the monks remembered. So it's, it's a very different type of uh, document, right? So, but as, as we go along, there is more of a debate, there is more of a defense and there is more overcoming of their, especially the opponents who believe in something permanent, like Atman, like self, or soul, or something like that. Trouda, you are describing something hey. very similar in a different tradition, the one I spent most of my life is, which is the Nicene Council of 300 AD, 300 years after the death of Christ, when there was the debate, debate different debate, was he fully God, fully human, half and half, and these, these things are documented, these, it's like Congress, the debate, you know, trying yeah. and, and of course, at the Nicene Council, unlike our Congress, they came to a compromise, half man, half God. <laughs> so interesting. Thank you. Gosh, thank you for your, for your knowledge. It's very helpful. Well, um, I mean, that's sort of part of my training, so. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm going to share again. Okay, so, well, do we want to start off with a Trouty reading since she her name starts with E? Okay. Okay, so uh, Trouty and then Gail and then um, Kim and Nancy and Nelda and me. So I'm starting, yes, on, please. starting on page 229, right? Yes. Logos comment. Everything, everything comes together because of causes and conditions. Everything ceases also because of causes and conditions. This is the way the world works, the coming and going, arising and ceasing of all things belongs to the world of illusions. Nothing lasts, yet everything is possible. To live fully in this world, you need to know the workings of the world the workings of causes and conditions. You will have to learn, one, wait for the conditions, two, recognize conditions, 
three, adapt to conditions, and yes. four, create new conditions. Yes. Usually people just react to causes and conditions without seeing things clearly. Instead of merely reacting, you must cultivate the wisdom and the compassion to do these four practices. You must learn to see things not with tunnel vision, from a self-referential viewpoint, but in a holistic, interdependent, and connected way. These practices will help the quality of your life. When you can fully engage with this dream world of causes and conditions, then causes and conditions themselves cease to be, and you awaken from the dream. You fulfill all the wonderful teachings and help everyone. Shan Master Yangshan Huji, 807 to 83, was heir to Chan Master Weishang Linyu, mentioned in case five. Together they formed one of the five Chan lineages, the Huayang School of Chan. Yangshan was a great master, very witty and sharp. Each Chan master has his own or his or his or her own style. Some are humorous and sarcastic. Others may be rather laid back. Still others may be confrontational and aggressive, like Lin Ji, who in demonstrating his awakening, jabbed his teacher three times in the stomach to express his joy. Yangshan, from the record of his teaching, seems to be a very lively fellow, a bit on the wild side. His last name was Yi. At 15, he tried to leave the household life to become a monk but his parents did not allow it as they wanted him to get married and produce sons. Mind you, old China was a patriarchal society where sons were very important. He again tried to leave his home at age 17, but his parents urged him to marry. In those days, people married young, sometimes even at 14 or 15. His parents had found him a wife, but he refused to marry her. Using his body to protest, he cut off the pinky and ring fingers <laughs> of his left hand. In my book, Sanctity and Self-Inflicted Violence in Chinese Religion, I write about the wide variety of Astur practices found in Chinese religion, copying scriptures in one's own blood, cutting off one's fingers and self-immolation, some of which are still practiced today. In pre-modern times, people typically used their body to demonstrate certain cultural values <laughs> and virtues. The body was an instrument or a site where sanctity was negotiated. This kind of self-sacrifice and austerity in Buddhism may not be so popular among Mer American Buddhists, but it has always been part of the East Asian Buddhist tradition. When Yang Shan cut off his two fingers, his parents finally got the message. <laughs> so, and a lot, it's not funny, is it? You think? <laughs> it's so scary. Well, his parents, what he had to do to, <laughs> to communicate, finally got the message and allowed him to become a monk. His resolve had been heard loud and clear. Usually, novice monks are eager to become ordained as full monastics, but not Yangshen. He remained a novice for a long time, visiting different teachers to sharpen his understanding. In fact, he was still a novice when he first met his teacher, Wei Shan, who asked him, You are a novice? Do you have a master or not? One could interpret his question in two ways. Do you have a teacher, a master you're studying with, or who's your master? who is the person who is making decisions to collect or write, to practice this or that, who is the one within you who tells you what to do. Are you just following your own wandering thoughts or are you your own master? Yanshan said, yes, the master is around. Wei Shan asked, where is he? Yanshan got up, walked from west to east and then sat down. He could have done just about anything. Wei Shan remarked, this fellow is not ordinary and accepted him into the congregation. 
congregation to practice. At a later time, another interaction took place between the two. Yangshan asked, where is the true Buddha? Wei Shan replied, ah, the wonder, the wonder of thinking, non-thinking, turning the light around to realize the inexhaustible. When thoughts exhaust themselves, return to the source and you'll realize that both nature and the manifold appearances are ever present. No, Nomenon and phenomenon are non-dual. Such is the true Buddha. Upon hearing this, Yang Shan became thoroughly awakened. One day, sometime after his awakening, Yang Shan was just hanging out. He walked up to the first seat, meaning the head monk of the monastery. And the head monk made a, state, made a comment about how delightful the light rain had been on that day. Yang Shan immediately seized the opportunity and caught the monk off guard by asking, what's so delightful about it? The monk was unable to respond. Yang Shan said, ask me then, and proceeded to say, ah, delightful rain. The head monk asked, what's so delightful about it? Yang Shan stuck out his hand and let the rain drop on his palm, then pointed to it. Trouty? Yes, oh, sorry. Um, in Tallahassee, summer can get quite hot. A nice rain is always a delight. You may find the rain delightful too, but if it continues for a week, you may find it annoying and say, it's raining again. There is nothing particularly delightful about rain. Yet, just the fact that it is raining is itself, like all things, sufficiently delightful. Every day is a good day. Every moment is a good moment. Like I always say, IAG is all good. What is IAG? It's, it's all, all good. good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> Acronyms or something of the sort. <laughs> Causes and conditions come and go, good and bad interchange. There is nothing to verbalize about it. Everything changes. But precisely because everything changes, everything is alive and dynamic. IAG. You just have to listen carefully. Listen carefully, then you will see. I love that. I love it in, in art, and, well, in, in literature and here, where they're using one sense to actually describe another. Listen carefully, then you will see. I love that. Anyway, sorry. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. when, when I've First semester I was teaching, there was a little girl next door. She was maybe four years old and she barely spoke, but she was always hanging out in this um, kind of driveway where, where my apartment was. And I said, so I'm teaching, I don't know what to say. And she just said, she kind of turned toward, toward the garage and then turned around and said, look, 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 look. Mm -hmm. wow. kind of like this listen 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 i'll never forget that so so wow. that's like the only word she might have said that day look 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 it's perfect but i love the way um these koans uh, and especially this one and what we just read everything seems to be pointing us back toward our own self to our own, you know, it, it, it's not like somebody's telling us anything. It's 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 something that we discover for ourselves, and how deeply we we kind of immerse ourselves into finding but, out. So the listening <laughs> isn't to Yan Shan. The listening. It's, it's the listening's to oneself. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. It's like in my dream, you know. 
all my characters I thought had the answer, but then they turned to me and looked at me and totally looked confused and looked right at me and said, you find out. <laughs> and I realized at that moment, I was the one who, need, who needed to find out, you know? <laughs> it wasn't outside of me, it's in me. <laughs> Listen carefully. Okay, who read? You, Kim, I think it's your turn. In your life, you should be able to hear the Dharma being preached everywhere by everyone. In adverse situations, you may think things are bad. What's so bad about it? <laughs> Who is thinking they're bad? In the same way, if you think something is so wonderful, I ask you, what is so wonderful about it? And so in the end, all he could do is point to the raindrop in his hand. He couldn't describe it. Yeah. What do you do when you meet adversity or people who present you with challenges? Recognize Buddha Dharma. Sitting in meditation is nice and lovely, but afterward, when facing trouble, some people and situations, do your own mechanisms and habit patterns return? If so, then your sitting practice is useless. You have to first learn to recognize causes and conditions. If things don't go your way, flow and adapt. In the meantime, wait. If things just need a little nudge, you can create a proper conditions for them to flourish. One way to create new circumstances is to better understand yourself, to understand the other, to know when to advance or to retreat. If you know yourself and know others, then you will know when to advance or to retreat. So what must first be done is to clarify yourself and the situation. You have to be careful of your initial emotional, conceptual reactions to adversity so that no vexations are expressed. In your life, the purpose of practice is to dissolve vexations in a way that will not harm others. Thus, everything you need in life reveals the wondrous workings of Dhamma. Guys, I, I just want to say that I disagree um, vehemently with his statement about um, that if you, after sitting, if your old mechanisms and habit patterns return, then your sitting practice is useless. I, I, I really disagree with that. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's what's so important about sitting being one of the first things we do because it's sort of the grounding space for the rest right. of your day so so whether or not you become reactive later on in the day how much more might you have been had you not sat that day exactly exactly right. Nelda so I agree but he's a mere mortal like the rest of us so we'll, <laughs> we'll, we will love him anyway <laughs> that's true I think I think that there's a difference, though, between your uh, patterns, your habits returning, and practice allowing you to actually become aware of those habits and that they are returning. And um, in, that, in that case, it's not useless. Um, you have to first learn to recognize the causes and conditions. And I think that uh, my practice has helped me do that. It certainly has right. brought up um, all the habitual ways that I think and the way my mind works. And the more aware I become of those, even if they come up again, even if I repeat them, at least now I can see them clearly and it's not right. happening much. Right. right. And not that I'm a neurologist, but my therapist explained to me from a neurological perspective all reactivity is based in the limbic node. And that if we will take a breath, one long deep breath, it immediately takes us to the front frontal calmer lobe. So that tiny little space of sitting and learning to breathe with our practice is what also helps us throughout the day move quickly from reactivity to creating space. Every time I hear create space, my, my mind, because of that statement, also um, connects it with take a breath. And that gets you out of your limbic into your frontal. 
Norman Fisher was here in Austin and he was talking to this businessman. I, I went to it somehow. It was like a cocktail party, crazy thing. And he said, before you send an email, take a deep breath. And so maybe that's the process where it goes to a different part of the brain. But also, I don't think he's talking about on a given day, if your old mechanisms and habit patterns return. But if, you know, over and over and over again, you're not getting anywhere. So you could still disagree, but I think he, that's how I take it. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Kim. It, you know, you can always tell if your practice is effective um, by just paying attention and noticing, do I feel like I'm growing in, in love and compassion and um, understanding? Um, or, you know, I, I'm not as reactive as I used to be. I didn't used to even be aware that there was another way to be other than just reacting emotionally to what was happening. And um, practices taught me to take that deep breath that he's talking about and to, um, you know, uh, just be aware of um, these patterns. I want to add to that, which is just another facet. It's not an agreement or disagreement. I mean, I've paid a lot of money to this woman to learn these things. So I want to share them. So my cost per hour is reduced. There is a difference in how well you can do that with traumatic experiences is what I'm told because trauma is not incorporated and resolved into the fabric of long-term memory. Trauma stays, whether it was 40, 50 years ago or last week, trauma actually stays in short-term memory. So it feels ever present and to, um, and to, um, what's, what's the word, integrate that with, um, in, in the long-term part of your brain is a very complicated process. Um, and, and one for which I find sitting and meditation helpful, but not the sole answer. I, I just wanna mention that because there is a difference between reactivity that comes from, we're all reactive, um, but there's a different kind of reactivity that comes from trauma, so. I, yeah, I, I agree. And um, depending on how deep the trauma is, right. uh, sometimes you're going to need professional help or you're going to need others. You're going to need, uh, you know, but for me, the Buddhist um, practice of actually turning toward what's happening was new. You know, I spent most of my time running the opposite direction. And what they're talking about here is actually turning towards it and um, doing it in a way that's just meeting it, not trying to get rid of it, you know? <laughs> and for me, that's been one of the most effective, effective things. And, uh, but sometimes we do need help with it. I, I have gotten help, so. Oh, whose turn? I think it's you. Oh, yep. does it, do we start with most people? Yes. Yes, yes. okay. Yes. Most people have a lot of wandering thoughts during the day and in dreams, all kinds of garbage comes out. How do you recognize causes and conditions with all of your wandering thoughts? If you're swirled about by conditions, you will certainly not be able to do anything. You will be a mere puppet on strings controlled by causes and conditions. So first, you must have a steady meditation practice, but this is not enough. You have to integrate meditation into your life. We had a, a good opportunity for practice in the last week, didn't we? Mm -hmm. Yes. And, yes. And I noticed, like my daughter was talking about someone who was just so anxious. And, and she said to me, you know, dad, is this normal for someone to be just so anxious about the situation? I mean, but it had totally overwhelmed this person. And um, just that there's different ways we can take this stuff. Yeah, I, um, 
I became aware of the fact that I was experiencing anxiety that was a little above what the situation was calling for. And when I sat with it, I realized that uh, what I was doing was um, like Nelda was pointing to, kind of like reliving past trauma. You know, it's like it's on the surface and it just takes something very small to kind of, you know, activate it. But I was able actually to just meet it and allow it to move through my system um, uh, by sitting and uh, meeting it and then becoming very aware that this is what that was. And uh, then when I understood it, I understood what was happening. I had a lot of compassion for myself and, <laughs> and um, you know, was able to uh, let it go. But uh, yeah, it's... And that's the big awareness, I think, for those things that are so, they're like a, a snake. They just you know, <laughs> pop out. Um, is realizing, and this practice has, I know, taught me this. This is a condition that's arising and will fall away. If you can just settle while it arises, it will fall away. And then resilience is built as a result. So, okay. So who's reading now? Trouty. I just, Stephanie just left, so I can... Uh... Back to Trouty. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I teach a one-minute chant to my students, as described earlier. Take five minutes throughout a day or five activities, and for one minute, relax your body, allow your breath to be natural, and be clear while doing the task at hand. Ground yourself in this moment's task, whatever that may be. The principle is to relax, to be natural and clear. You can choose to do this, for example, when you are making tea or answering the phone or getting dressed in the morning and so on. Just one minute at a time, five times a day. Do this in addition to your formal sitting meditation practice. These moments will then permeate the rest of your day. If you want to practice every moment, however, then most likely you will not be able to do it. So just start this five one minute meditations. History. Oh, this remind me of uh, what I read from Nikhan. Um, he said that before we pick up a phone call or before we make a phone call, try to stop and take three deep breaths and then slowly pick up the phone. <laughs> it's doable, isn't it? Yeah, sometimes, but I realize that Maybe, I don't know if my breath is too long somehow. After I finish it, the phone calls. Well, then you solved the problem, Nancy. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't want to talk to them anyway. <laughs> you created new conditions. Once you can integrate the principles of meditation into your life, you will be calm enough to recognize the workings of causes and conditions. Inevitably, at some time, as you practice this method, as you're trying to relax, something will go wrong. Someone may step on your foot, or you make your tea and you run out of sugar, or someone says or does something that aggravates you. These are wonderful opportunities. As these things happen exactly when you are consciously practicing, you will see vexations as they arise. You will remember not to get caught up in them and to relax, be natural, and clearly go back to the task at hand. This is the first step in not getting caught up in causes and conditions. I recently provided some opportunities to two of my students. One laughed at me as a response. The others stopped talking to me for three days. 
if you think that's bad, I could tell you more of the outrageous things my teacher used to do to me. The point is life is full of opportunities, not obstacles. To, and I guess that's a way we could have seen last week. Mm. Right? So I want to ask a nice all of distinction. you in your collective wisdom for people whose members of their family died from the cold, either by asphyxiation or their houses mm. were destroyed. How do you read this to them? And I mean, I could never say this to them in my heart. I feel this, but but it almost seems to minimize that suffering. Well, that's that's the deal about right speech is that it, there's the deal about honesty, but there's also the deal about timeliness. So maybe it's, it's just mm. completely the wrong time. So you just hold them in their pain, hold them you know, with their pain. I mean, if you tell someone who just lost someone. Um, there's no birth and no, no death. And yeah. wasn't this a great learning opportunity? You know? Yeah, that's <laughs> going to be really cruel. Yeah. Um, because they're in another space of grieving. Thank you, Kim. Thank you for that reminder. And I think if you become um, more grounded in presence, and, you know, then, then there'll be less of a chance of maybe saying something that is, uh, you know, really hurtful or uh, inappropriate. Um, I think he's really just telling you just to develop this this presence and then wait to see what happens. And then in that presence, wait to see what and might- Gail, you've just there. described Flint and Peg. Yeah. Because that's, they are so well grounded in their practice that whatever you bring to them, and what do they give you in return for me? It's just perfect. Okay, who's reading? You just finished, right, Kim? Yeah. Okay, it's me. This case begins with Yangshan dreaming that he was in the presence of Maitreya Bodhisattva, the next Buddha to come to this world, who now supposedly resides in to Sita heaven. There are the Buddhist masters who have dreamed that they were in the presence of Maitreya. In fact, it is not an uncommon phenomenon. Modern scientists do not agree on the significance of dreams, but neuroscientists do say how our perceptions are completely fabricated, that they are simulations of the brain. You simulate your own self-image, then even though it may, it may not be who you are, you may have clear memories of events, but scientists demonstrate that memories are actually unreliable. They are mere reconstructions that blend information stored in long-term memory with a school current state of mind as, as the events are occurring. Your mind, independent of the fact that you are dreaming or awake, can function just fine. Dreams can seem extremely real to you, so real that you can have just as strong an emotion as when you are awake. So what distinguishes dream and wakeful state? Aren't you in a dream? Is this not the dream of self and others, having and lacking, fear and joy, coming and going, arising and ceasing? So in broad daylight, you too are dreaming of talking and acting and thinking, in your dreams. Yet these simulations usually become your reality and they enslave you. You think the simulations are actually real, that it is how things really are. But what is real? Everyone is talking in their dreams and they don't know they're dreaming. Yang Shan is able, oh, I'm sorry, that's the next person. Is that me? Yes. Okay. Yangshan is able to speak the Dharma in his dreams. Or does he? He said the Mahayana teaching is apart from the four propositions and cuts off the 100 negations. 
Crowdy, do you know what the 100 negations are? I'm not absolutely sure because the the number is not traditional. It the number would be 96 or 108, 82 or something like that. I think this this might be uh, Guo uh, uh, suggestion for a large number. Yeah, he's gonna he's going to go ahead and describe it in the next paragraph. Oh, okay. The world of causes so, uh, is that is it me or is it still trouty? Well, I, I mean, I read a very short portion, but it doesn't matter. What, yeah, go, go ahead, trouty. Okay, thank you. The world cause of causes and conditions is not the realm of awakening. How does one go beyond causes and conditions, beyond the four propositions of affirmative, negative, both affirmative and negative? Neither affirmative nor negative. Okay, here you have it spelled out. (laughs) But isn't this the way your experience, you experience the world? You either affirm something, think it's real, or you negate something. Sometimes you are unsure of things. So you come up with clever ways of saying that things both exist and don't exist. Or you think that things neither exist nor don't exist. The hundred negations refers to refutation of all kinds of argumentation. To say that the Mahayana teaching of which Chan is its culmination is beyond the four propositions. And the hundred negation is to say that logic, reasoning, and everything that you can ever come up with in your conceptual mind will never grasp how things actually are. The fourfold teaching of causes and conditions I mentioned above is meant to help you live better, to adapt to situations, to be more flexible. In recognizing and cultivating conditions, you dissolve yourself in the workings of conditions. You let go of conditions. This is to be apart from the four propositions and to cut off the 100 negations. Did he preach the Dharma or not? To open his mouth is to fail, to shut his mouth is to lose. Neither opening nor keeping it shut, he is still far apart from the truth as 180,000 miles. (coughs) This is now a question to all of you. If you say yes, you're wrong. (laughs) If you say no, you're also wrong. If you say both yes and no, neither or neither yes nor no, you're still terribly off the mark. Those are the four propositions right there. This is like saying the target is over here and yet you are shooting over there. So now answer me, did he preach the Dharma or not? This is a little bit like, uh, uh... Flint was talking on, on the on the weekend um, about well I mean the title was uh, not knowing right and yeah so you, you never never meet or or miss um, you you never can fully ascertain something or fully deny. Right. I mean, he is, he says says it here in a different way, but and and Trouty, it's a, a an, an additional facet of that, and I truly am asking, is that from no moment to moment, those moments each bring with them a component of not knowing, because the conditions for the next moment haven't arisen until the next moment arises. So how can you even know what is called for until that moment becomes the present one? It's, it's kind of to the problem of taking pictures because you're pressing the shutter button before the event occurs. 
So how can you know that you're pressing it at the right moment? Because the right moment would be too late. Yes. Well, yeah, because what you see will not be after you push the button. Yes. Right. Right. The photographer's dilemma. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think uh, obviously we, we will ask and we will, we will sort of dwell on questions like this. And it's, it's important because this is, some, this is something how we are trained, how we function, how when we learn something, it, it always has to materialize in something concrete, whether good or bad or in between or whatever it is. Um, but it does not take into account unless you, you in, yeah, unless you come near to somebody's teaching that uh, you may realize that what you are actually relying on is uh, sabotaging. <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> That's true. So am I reading or who is reading? Uh, it's me. Okay. This case is about the wordless teaching of Ifapo Buddha Dharma. Anything that can be spoken of, that can be conceived of, constructed mentally or fabricated is conditioned. Yes, although there's no such thing as Buddha Dharma, teachings can still be given according to the needs of people. When the Buddha was about to pass away, he gathered his disciples and said, I've been teaching for almost 40 years, and yet I have not said a single word. The Buddha led a busy life. He traveled in all directions to different parts of India to help people, always talking and talking and talking. Should I continue? Yes, Nancy, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Under clear, broad light way, I'm sorry, under clear, broad daylight, this guy is dreaming of talking in his dream, controlling up on kinds of bazaar and strange things to deceive the congregation. Yeah, I, yeah, you can go ahead, Erica. Okay, thank you. In dreams, you do dream things. Things must be done, not for oneself, but they must be done. Engaging in your daily affairs, don't inject yourself into everything you do. There is no self, no others, no engaging. This is the correct view. Chan Master, how do I pronounce that? Xu Yun? Mm -hmm. Or Empty Cloud, uh, the great Grand Master in my Chan lineage, was one of those monks who often traveled to different regions to renovate dilapidated temples. He was a builder. Someone once asked him, since everything is impermanent, why are you rebuilding all of these old temples? They'll only become ruins anyway. This would be similar to someone saying, why do we need to eat? We'll just get hungry later anyway. What kind of question <laughs> is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> what, there's yeah. I, I don't know who is reading. It's you, Trouty. It's you. Okay, okay. it's you. <laughs> Thank you. When woman um, says that Yangshan is deceiving the congregation, he's actually not criticizing Yangshan, but praising him for what he has done for the Chan tradition. Like all the great masters in the Chan, both women and Yangshan are talking in their sleep, dreaming in broad daylight. If you think that they're not dreaming or that when they wake up, they will have no more dreams, then that kind of thinking is itself a dream, a great misunderstanding of Buddha Dharma. This kind of reminds me of the um, um, 
the Zen master who was uh, talking to a student or the student asked him, is it true that, what is it? Is it true that, that the, that the truth can't be spoken of or that, you know, that you, the truth is, is yeah. something that can't be spoken of. And then the Zen master says, well, yes, but you have to say something, you know, <laughs> that's what this reminds me of, you know, we're all talking in a dream <laughs> about something that actually can't be spoken of. <laughs> you have to say something. You have to say something. <laughs> yeah. I didn't fully understand that until my mother-in-law passed away recently. I've been to many funerals and I didn't get to go to her memorial service. But all of a sudden, all the eulogies I've heard throughout the years and, and the one that I listened to about her on the tape they made, I'm thinking, these are such shallow, empty words. I mean, they will never, no words will ever describe um, just the tremendous beauty and grace that this world has lost by this woman's passing. And, but you have to say something. You have to remind people of at least part of the essence of what you're talking about, be that a person or a practice or, or how to fix a tire or whatever it is, you know. So, yeah. Well, are we done? Hopefully, hopefully Laurie got her pipes fixed. I'm sorry, what? Hopefully Laurie got her pipes. Oh, right. Fixed. Yes, yes. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I, I assume that happened. I hope. Thank yeah, you. the pies in my school got broken and they closed for today and tomorrow. Oh. To clean the mess. Yeah. Oh, dear. So are you, are you, uh, forgive me, Nancy, I don't know when you talk about your school, if you are attending school or if you're actually an instructor. Oh, um, I'm a RAS student. I'm still going Okay, to so... Uh, do they expect you go to class, or uh, I'm, uh, or do you do all of that still virtually? Now you have to be virtually because school yeah. closed. <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't open before the pipes broke, was it? It was. It was open. It, oh. um, yeah, it gave us the opportunity to like we have three options: like totally virtual or like half half or completely in class oh. yeah so my advisor was um unlucky because he has only like i think he said like six or seven students in class but two of them chose to be in class so he had to go to oh class. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think this past uh, week and everything that the city has been through and we've all been through it feels very, um, oh, how can you say it? Almost like you're not the same, you know? You're not the same. Whatever it was that happened, whatever it was you experienced, whatever you, um, uh, how you met it, how you bonded, how you got through it, it, it kind of makes a big, it feels like a change in an odd way um, to me. I hope, I hope we don't forget. I, I'm not saying, you know, uh, the trauma of it, but, oh, just, just, you know, the reminder that nothing stays the same. Everything is changing all the time. And, you know, how interesting, how interesting. That was one of the things I was thinking this whole way. I would be, one minute I was enjoying the beauty of the snow and the ice 
and, and you know, the, the days that were clear with the sunshine and the next minute I'm trying to boil water to flush down my toilet, you know, it's, it's, it was everything. <laughs> it was just and three everything. days later, we have a sky like we had today, just crystal clear blue yeah. cloud and 72 degrees is just yeah. impermanence. Impermanence, impermanence, and um, you know the ups and the downs. I don't know. It just felt felt like life. Yeah. Okay, are we done? I think we are. Okay. Thank, Thank you, everyone. everyone. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. Good night. Drive safely home. <laughs> <laughs> to my living room. <laughs> <laughs>